Hebrews chapter 11. Let's start reading at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him is good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable, these all died in faith. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 23. We often speak of those that are named in Hebrews chapter 11, speak of their faith, icons, heroes. But I think as we talk about Abraham, we forget the woman behind Abraham. Sarah had great faith. And if you take a look, chapter 23, in verse 1, the Bible says, Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. That's a long time to live. And Sarah died. Now, she obviously had been married at least 80, possibly as many as 85 years when she passed away. And if you take a look at the life of Sarah, it was a life of hardship. There were problems, mistakes made by her husband. But throughout her life, we see her maintaining her faith, maintaining her marriage, and ending well. Now, I want to tell you, and I don't want to overgeneralize problems in marriage, but this is something I've said and repeated both in counseling and in preaching. And here's something I'm seeing more and more a trend. Now, I know people don't like to be thrown into a group, and that's not my purpose tonight. But I'm just going to tell you from counseling, here's what I've seen. Usually when a man and a woman marry, the woman naturally knows how to love. The man has no clue. So that woman pours her heart and soul into that marriage. There's an extreme dedication. And the husband is clueless. And the woman has to put up with that. Not that they don't want to love, but simply they don't know how to love or how to properly express love. And over the next eight to ten years, as that woman gives and loves and sacrifices and invests and gives and puts up with the frustration of not being loved the way she would like to be loved, she grows frustrated and often angry. And that anger, at some point, becomes bitterness. And the man who doesn't know how to love but wants to love and he works and he makes sacrifices and he can't make much money because he doesn't have much experience. He's trying to work his way up the ladder. He started at the bottom. So he's working longer hours, making less money. He can't provide much of a house or much of a car or much of a living. He doesn't say the right thing, doesn't respond in the right way. 
doesn't understand the meaning of flowers and gifts and Christmas and anniversaries, but he is learning slowly but surely. So about the time that that woman has given up, become bitter, that man finally loves and appreciates that woman and has a clue about appreciating dates and moments and meals and outings. And there's a role reversal. And I believe, you know, the first time I read in Titus that the aged women are supposed to teach the younger women to love their husbands, I didn't understand that. But now I do understand that because women start off knowing how to love, but through a series of events, they become frustrated, disillusioned, and often bitter because that man just doesn't know how to love. He doesn't, but he will, so be patient. But by the time the man learns how to love, the woman is too frustrated to even appreciate his love. Doesn't enjoy it. And then at that point, that man has to make a decision. I will help her through these moments. She was patient with me. She was kind to me. She loved me. So I will reciprocate that same love and kindness and patience to her. In marriage, the most destructive thing you can allow to happen in your marriage is for anger to develop in the bitterness. Bitterness is extremely destructive in nature and will quickly rip apart a marriage. Now I want you to think for a minute about Sarah and what she was living. Now, if you go back to Genesis 12, let's do this very quickly. Go back and read a few verses with me. What possibly can create bitterness in a woman? There are a lot of things, and Sarah faced all of them in her marriage. Now, we won't take time to read the last few verses of chapter 11, but God comes to Abram in Ur and tells him, Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I'll make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I'll bless them that bless thee, curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, his Lord had spoken unto him. Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and 5 years old. Look what it says. When he departed out of Haran... And Abram took Sarai, his wife. Now, this alone would create bitterness in most women. Because God had come to Abram. This is his second departure. He had already left Ur, possibly 20 or 25 years earlier. So he comes home one day to his wife and says, Pack the bags, have a garage sale, talk to a realtor, we're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. We're just moving. Do you have a place in mind? Not exactly. I have a general direction. A general direction? We're selling the house for a general direction? Yeah, pretty much. You don't have a place in mind? You don't have a camper? You don't have... No. So what's your plan? Tents. <laughs> Excuse me. Tents? That's pretty much the plan for right now. So they take off. And they end up in Haran. That's where Abram's family lived. Don't women like that. So we just left her. We just left my family to move to a town where your family lives. Merry Christmas to you. And then 
15 or 20 years later, his dad dies, some of his family dies, and God says, Abram, this is not where I told you to go. So he, she had by then already got a furniture set and a bedroom set and a nice stove and a nice refrigerator. And she'd start, in 20 years, a woman can accumulate a lot of things. <laughs> she was starting to feel comfortable again. And suddenly he says, time for another garage sale. Now imagine this. If Abram was 75, that means she was 65. How many of you want to have a garage sale, get rid of everything, and live in a tent when you're 65 years old? You know what a woman wants after about 30? Security. Security doesn't come with a tent. After 30, a woman doesn't want an apartment. She wants her own house. She wanted security and had none. So she's constantly moving. She's living in tents. She leaves her family. She's 65, 70, 75, 80, still living in tents. Oh, wait, it gets better. So they leave, verse 10, and there was a famine in the land. This was a really smart move. First, we load up, we live in tents, and now you take me somewhere where we're going to starve to death. They're immediately falling on hard times. Then things start getting stable. Look what it said in chapter 14, verse 14. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318. He pursued four kings. Abram, what are you doing? Okay, guys, how many got a broom, stick, get a knife and go make a spear? What are we doing? There are four kings with their armies came through and they took my nephew. We're going to go get him. You know, he's got this branch that he's pushing with his knee and he's wrapping a string around the top. <laughs> and there's Sarah. Abram, look at yourself. You are 78. If I could just hold this still, I could get this thing wrapped around. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, we, we just don't like the reality. Maybe I should have called this message the reality of marriage. This isn't the way we think about Sarah, but this is the bottom line. Sarah had a marriage that could have lived on the rocks simply because of her living circumstances. Now, number two, she overcame the bitterness caused by a husband's poor decision making. Go back to chapter 12 and look what it says in verse 12. Okay, let's see. So we sell everything, we move, we go to Haran where your family lives. And now it's time of famine. Verse 11, what's your plan, Abram? Hold on, I got a good plan. It came to pass when he's come near to enter into Egypt, he says unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. About time you started feeding me some compliments after all that you have done to me. You better say some sweet things. He said, you're a fair woman. Verse 12. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see that they shall say, this is my wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister. And how did that work out? Let me ask you this. How many of you, by this time, at this point, have lost all faith in your husband? He's moved you. He's moved you again. You're living in tents. Your cows don't have grass. 
Now you go to Egypt, about the time you show up, he's telling you, you're going to have to lie because here's what's going to happen. When we go in here, we're going to find food, but we're also going to find a king. And you're a hot woman, and the king likes hot women, so this is going to create a problem. I'm not really worried about you, but I'm certainly worried about them killing me. I sometimes think we read scripture and actually never even think about it. You put yourself there. Oh, let me guess, with your innocent face, you say, oh, that wouldn't bother me at all. Let's try step one and just have your husband tell you, tomorrow we're having a garage sale. I've watched some of you get stared down by your wives over a taco. <laughs> I'm going to get some ice cream. Oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> and you're going to tell your wife, we're moving again. And when we go to Egypt... You're going to tell them you're my sister? Now, imagine Sarah, if she's going to the palace thinking, I've had it. I have really had it this time. I am really sick and tired. Hold on. This is not his last bad decision. Go to chapter 16. How many of you ever talked to your wife when she was emotionally distressed? Don't listen to what she's saying because it's a trap. 16.1. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. She had a handmaiden, Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, stressed, depressed, hormonally out of balance. Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram, what are you thinking? He hearkened to the voice of his emotionally stressed wife, Sarai. You know the story. Yeah, verse 4, he went to Hagar and she conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said under Abram, My wrong be upon thee. Our, our men are getting stiff-shouldered about right now, tense. They're afraid to say anything because of the repercussions of the ride home. Do you understand the reality of marriage? This is the reality of marriage. What we like to read about is Hebrews 11 and those great men of faith and Abram and how God blessed him. God blessed his faith. But the bottom line is this. He was a normal man with a normal marriage with normal faults and he had a wife who could have been bitter because of the insecurities that he caused not in the, her 30s not just in her 40s, not just in her 50s, but in her 60s and 70s. And if you read that book, listen, it wasn't just in his 50s or 60s or 70s where he went down to Egypt and said, hey, pretend like you're my sister. When he was 89 years old, he pulled that trick again. At what time do you look at your husband and say, you're just not a spiritual leader? Now, hold on for a minute. How do you make it through these valleys? You're only going to make it with grace. How do you have grace for the valley? What is the door that opens up God's grace? How many believe that God has grace for you? How many believe the part of salvation, there was a gift that came with that called grace, and that grace is sufficient for daily living? How many believe that? 
Now the question is, we often preach that, and we often tell people, well, rely on the grace of God. You should be living on God's grace. Daily you need God's grace, so don't try to function without God's grace. And people say, that's nice, that's what I want. I want that grace, I'm just not feeling that grace. Tell me how I can live with that grace being sufficient to put up with this. You tell me how Sarah could have the grace to sell everything and leave her house and leave her family, leave her town and leave her friends and live in a tent for decades. You tell me how she did that. You tell me how she had the grace to live with a husband that said, when we go to the city, I don't want you to tell people that you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. You tell me how you have grace as a wife to deal with leaving a place of plenty and dealing with famine. You tell me how you have grace to put up with a husband that when you're a nervous wreck in a frustrated disaster and dealing with a barren womb, in a moment of frustration, you say, well, just go marry her. And he does. You say, Pastor, I would like to have that kind of grace. I just don't know how to do it. Go with me to 1 Peter. You say, what's the key? We heard it in Hebrews 11. You know what the key is? Faith. You know what opens the door to grace? You know Ephesians 2 a, eh? For by grace are we saved. What opened up that door of grace? Faith. Keep your finger here in 1 Peter 3 and go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. How do we have access into this grace whereby we stand? What's the door? Faith. So when you live by faith, here's what happens. When you refuse to live by faith, you have no grace. You have no access to God's grace. And you become frustrated with God, with your circumstance, with everyone around you. Here's why people become bitter. Here is the root. We're talking about root problems. Root problems in marriage is bitterness. But how did you get to bitterness? Because you, you were not living by grace. And the only way you can live God's grace and feel the help and the power and the sustaining ability of God's grace is to do it by faith. You know what? If you have a trial in life and you don't by faith trust God as sovereign, knowing what he's doing, you'll become bitter. You will not experience God's grace. And in a marriage, when you try to go through that valley without faith in God, I can't trust my husband. No, you can't trust God. And you're going to end up bitter. Because when you can't trust your husband, you're saying, I can't trust God. And when you can't trust God, you can't experience grace. And when you can't experience grace, you will become bitter. Do you see the connection? I need you to connect the dots. I'm going to help you connect the dots. How did Sarah deal with this? How did Sarah follow Abraham? How did Sarah not say, that's not spiritual leadership, Abraham. You've made mistakes. I can't follow you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Whose adorning let it not be, that outward adorning of the plating of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. 
How many of you share Sarah's meek and quiet spirit and you say, if my husband put my house on the market and he sold all of my stuff on Craigslist and he put us in a tent and led us out into famine and told me to tell people that I was his sister, I would be absolutely satisfied with that. (laughs) Verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women who also did what? trusted in God. How did she have grace to submit herself and handle this situation? She trusted it was her faith that opened the door to God's grace. She trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Whose daughters you are as long as you do well. Look what it says. And are not afraid. You're not afraid of those situations. You're not sitting back saying, what if he makes a bad decision? You're saying, I can call him Lord because I trust God. I can trust my husband. And because I can trust my husband, I have the grace to deal with this situation. Now, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, what is it that God highlights in Sarah's life? Her faith. What is it that produced grace in her life to handle those valleys, those trials, those setbacks, those hardships? It was grace that was provided through faith in God. When you lose faith in God, you lose faith in those around you. You become angry with your situation, frustrated with life, bitter in your soul. Sarah's faith overcame the bitterness caused by disappointment. How many of you remember Sarah was barren? How many of you remember she received a promise and she waited and she waited, she waited and she turned 50 and 60 and 70, 80, 85, 86, 87, 88. Then the angel of the Lord comes by, shows up, eats at their house. She's in the tent. How many of you remember the story? And the angel says, Abram, I'm going to still give you that son. Sarah's washing the dishes. She drops a plate and laughs. (laughs) How many of you in here are 88, 89 years old? Anybody in here? No one. Can you imagine? Grandma Jody, how old are you? 74. Can you imagine if someone came... To visit Grandma Jody and say, Grandma Jody, tell you a little secret. About nine months, you're going to have a baby. That's exactly what Sarah did. Now, here's what's scary. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And let's see what the Bible says about bitterness. And we'll be done. While you're turning there, let me make a few simple statements. Do you know life comes with a lot of good times and a lot of bad times? Now, we prefer the good times. We'd like to think that life should be all good times. It just doesn't happen that way. It's a pretty mixed bag, mountains and valleys. You're going to need God's grace in order to survive both. Now, what you don't need, you don't need a problem-free life. You need a grace-filled life because no one has a problem-free life. Did you know the difference between a good marriage and a bad marriage? not that one is problem-free, it's that one is grace-filled. That's the only difference. 
And you ought to predetermine, young people, listen to me, before you ever get married, you need to predetermine, I will have valleys in this marriage and problems and setbacks and disagreements. I'll have days of great frustration. But before I ever say I do, I need to understand that in these vows, I am saying for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, I'm saying I will take the mountains with the valleys and survive both. That's the commitment that I'm making to this person. Now, what happens when you don't operate in grace? Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. What happens when we fail the grace of God? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And what happens? Thereby many be defiled. There's a great correlation. Hebrews 11. By faith. Sarah was a woman of faith. That faith opened up the door to God's grace. That grace allowed Sarah to live Things most of you will never know anything about, never have to suffer, never have to survive. How did Sarah survive? Not just Hagar, not just Ishmael, not just famine, not just twice being brought into the palace by a king because your husband had told you to lie and say, I'm just his sister. Twice leaving what you have packing up, moving around on the back of a donkey or a cow or a camel, living in tents. How do you have the grace to do that? We often talk of Abram's faith, but I think we need to highlight Sarah's faith because if Sarah had not exercised constantly her faith, she wouldn't have had the grace to survive following this man. And be careful, if you are wallowing in the pit of bitterness, you're saying, I live with an imperfect person. That's not the issue. The issue is your faith, because when you have faith in God, you say God is sovereign, he knows what he's doing, he's in charge, he's control. I'm not doubting this man, I'm doubting my God. And when I trust God, I experience his grace and when I experience his grace, I can go through any valley and survive any problem knowing God's in total control. Now, here's the problem. If you don't understand that, here's where you're headed. Here's your destiny. Here's your future. This is not a prediction. This is a Bible promise. And this alone should motivate you to exercise faith and to trust God. Because we read this verse and we often forget the following verse. So look diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, therefore many be defiled. We forget verse 16. What's it say? Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. What's the end result of bitterness? So you can choose faith, which opens the door to grace, where you can handle and will have the grace needed to survive any trial, heartache, setback, or hardship. Now, when you don't exercise that faith, that grace 
is not within reach, you won't live with the sustaining grace of God. And God says one of two things are going to happen. You'll become a fornicator or a profane person. That's the result of bitterness. Haven't you ever seen someone go bitter? When you lose faith, be careful, because when you lose faith in your husband, you've really lost faith in God. Is a safe person. Be careful, because God says you have one of two paths. Fornication, profanity. Have you seen a young person who becomes bitter? What's the first thing they do? Lose their purity. I don't care if it's adultery, fornication, homosexuality. You trace the root. The root problem is always bitterness. Why well, I don't understand why she fell into adultery. She didn't fall into adultery. I don't understand why he just fell into... He didn't fall into adultery. It was a path of bitterness, and the end of bitterness is fornication or profanity. You know what profanity is? That's not blaspheming the name of God. That's taking the sacred and making it common. So when someone is bitter, they take everything sacred and say, those songs, those people, that book, that message, that is the result of bitterness. And that bitterness is the result of not having the grace of God sustain you in the trials of life. And you didn't have access to the grace of God because you stopped trusting and when you have faith, you have the grace needed for every trial. And when you don't have faith, you're walking around saying, I need grace and I don't have grace and I can't handle this. And you become bitter. Be careful because when you have bitterness and many in this room have experienced bitterness and what has crossed your mind is one of two things, fornication or profanity. And you walk into the very house of God and that which is sacred to you is no longer sacred. And suddenly the way you want to lash out and the way you want to respond is fornication. I didn't write the next verse. I didn't put that in there. That was God that said, you better be careful because the first thing is you're going to be troubled as a bitter person. And folks, I could show you example after example after example and trace it to the root problem. The root problem is always the same. Their faith was shaken. Their grace could not, the grace of God cannot sustain them because when you stop believing and trusting God, you no longer have access to the grace you need to make it through that trial. And you say, I don't understand. I just don't have grace. I don't feel the grace. I'm not sustained by grace. You know why? Because you don't trust God. You're not trusting God. You're saying, why am I here? I can't believe this has happened to me. God should have never done this to me. My husband put me here. I'm tired of this life. I'm, oh, you better stop. You better stop and breathe. You don't want to go down that path of bitterness and frustration. You need God's grace. And that grace comes by faith. And that grace will help you avoid bitterness. Because ultimately, there's no one here in there that's going to avoid all the problems of life. And there's no one in here that picked a perfect mate. No one. And you know what you saw? You saw his mistakes, his bad decisions, his shortcomings, his inability to show love like the way you need to be loved. And you have one of two choices. You trust God. Or you start asking questions. You find yourself becoming angry. 
And that anger goes beyond the point of frustration to the point of bitterness. Be careful. You're on very dangerous ground because full-blown bitterness has two destinies. Profanity or fornication. And you don't want to find yourself in either of those spots.